Start running to detect tempo. Detecting tempo. detected. Life has a tempo, a beat, a rhythm, sets your pace. Ever feel like you're out of control and you don't know what to do? There's noise from every corner surrounding you. So much to see, so much to hear, so much to do. You're bombarded with the noise. What's setting your tempo? Is it fear or faith, trust or suspicion? Worry or worship, grace or greed, who is setting your tempo? Stop rushing through every season of life, trying to get to the next. Slow down and listen to the tempo, the rhythm, the beat. So that you can live well, work well, love well, lead well, rest well. Who is setting your tempo? Time. It's something all of us are given, a gift from God today. is his gift to us. What we do at that time is our gift back to God. David said in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we can live a life of wisdom. What are you doing with your time? What speed, pace, tempo, rhythm are you living at? God wants us to make our days count because the truth is all of us one day will run out of time. that drum intro. It was kind of cool. That was the worship team, creative guys, and we're, we're finishing our series Tempo this morning. We've been talking about time, how you spend it, what you do with it. Are you spending your time wisely in light of eternity? What kind of pace are you living your life? We've been talking about the Jesus Tempo, trusting God's tempo for your life. And today, as we get ready to finish the series, the title of the message is Redeem Your Time. Redeem your time. Ephesians, if you got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. 
If you're new to Victory, we think the Word of God is a, is a big deal. We cheer for it. We think it's better than OU football. And uh, we might sound a little shy. It's because there's some new people in the room. But we get excited about the Word of God. Ephesians 5, 16, Paul says, redeem the time because the days are evil. And he says it's, it's important because time's running out. Time is running out. The world is getting darker. The world is getting more chaotic. There's lots of noise trying to bombard your life. And so Paul says it's, it's important that we redeem the time. And today we're going to talk about how to redeem the time, what to do with our time. And so uh, before we do that, we always say a confession of faith, a declaration of what God wants to do in us and through us today. So we're going to put the words on the screen and feel free to join along with victory this morning on the count of three. Here we go. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. All right. Okay, before you're seated, I want you to shake hands with two people that you have not met yet. Shake hands with two people. Good. You might have to reach out from your row, but shake their hand. Tell them I'm glad that you're here today. about how life is truly a gift. Every single day, every minute, every hour is a gift. And, and what helps me to remember that each minute is a gift is that there's been times where my life has flashed before my eyes. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Maybe it was a car accident. Maybe you had a traumatic experience. Maybe you went through a sickness and you all of a sudden realize the brevity of life and the gift of today. And you realize how important every minute is. You wanted to make every minute count. You wanted to do something with your time. And this is how Paul lives. Paul the apostle in the Bible. I'm not talking in third person for anyone who's like new to the word of God. There's this guy, the author of that book that I just shared with you. Not the Bible, but Ephesians in the Bible. Paul was that author. And he said, listen, there's, there, time is running out. There's no time to waste. We must redeem the time. And to someone in the world, redeeming the time might mean, you know, driving fast through, through a, a slow speed zone, going 65 and a 35, or cheating your way to the top, just trying to uh, make the most of your time. But in, in God's economy and in God's kingdom, there's a different way to redeem the time. And there's a better way to use our time to glorify God. Paul was saying, we have to understand, and this is the answer to the question, how do I redeem my time? The answer is found in the next verse, Philipp, uh, or Ephesians 5, 17. This is what he says. He says, therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So he says, if you want to redeem your time, understand God's will. If you want to make the most of your life, get God's will for your life. Get his direction, his assignment for your life. And God does have an assignment for your life. But he says, you've got to get it. So where do we get God's will? Where do we find the will of God? I've said this before in church. The answer is the word, the Bible. His word is his will. If you want to know the will of God, you got to read the word of God. If you want to know what God's direction is for your life, you got to open up the Bible and get into it. For me, this was something hard growing up. I was surrounded by the Bible. I was surrounded by past. My parents were pastors, surrounded in church. 
But I had to develop, I couldn't just ride on the coattails of my parents' faith. I had to develop a faith of my own. I had to get in the Word of God and discover that God had a purpose for my life. When we say that the declaration at the start of every service, I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose, we say that because that's God's Word. God's Word says you weren't born on accident, that He actually planned for you to be on earth for such a time as this. There's a reason you were born during this time, that you're alive in 2015, that you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that you're going to victory. God has a plan for your life. And we find His will, His plan in His Word. We also find His plan and His will in His presence. I can tell you this, one way to redeem your time is getting to church. You will never waste your time being in God's presence, being in a place of worship, being around people of faith, listening to the Word of God. We redeem our time by seeking the Lord. You know, I think about in the Bible so many different stories of men and women who sought God's face and as they spent time in His presence, God renewed their faith. God renewed the dreams that He had put inside them. God set them up for success. Why? Because they were spending time in His presence. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6 is a story where King David, he had uh, just made kind of a, a tough decision. He had taken all of his mighty men, uh, his guys, his army into battle. And when they came back from battle, their wives had been kidnapped, their kids had been kidnapped, all of their stuff had been burned, their city was burned to the ground. And it says that David's mighty men, his army was ready to kill him. They were ready to stone David. And so it says that David sought God's face in 1 Samuel 30 verse 6, and he strengthened himself in the Lord. If you want to redeem your time, spend time in God's presence. In his presence, there is fullness of joy, there's strength to weather the battles you're walking through. When you're in God's presence, he gives you direction for your life. It says in Exodus 33, 11, when Joshua would follow Moses, his mentor, into the tent of tabernacle, which back in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was the presence of God, that when Joshua would follow him in there, Moses would speak to God as a man speaks face to face, like I'm doing with you right now. And then when Moses left, Joshua would stay in the tabernacle. He wouldn't leave. He refused to leave God's presence. Did you know that later on, God used Joshua to lead the Israelites into the promised land? But you know what? I think Joshua got direction. I think he got courage. I think he got his strength by spending time in God's presence. So I think a first point of redeeming your time is seeking God. Not just seeking his hands, but seeking his face. Don't just seek what God can give to you. Seek who God is. Everybody say, seek his face, seek his face. Not, his hands. not his hands. Oftentimes, we spend all of our time in prayer saying, God, give me this. God, I need this. Lord, give me a breakthrough. God, help me out. I need a miracle. And those things are good to ask God for. But if the only times you go into God's presence is just to ask him for things, you're not seeking his face. You're seeking his hands. But if you'll spend time seeking his face, just saying, God, Thank you for being my God. Thank you for, for being my Father. Lord, thank you for saving me. God, I thank you. You're good. You're faithful. Just, just praising Him, worshiping Him. What happens? You're building a relationship with God. And then when it comes time to ask Him for those needs, I'm telling you, there's a relationship. There's intimacy there. And you know how to ask for God's will and not just for your will. And God says, I always do my will for your life. So we redeem our time by seeking the Lord. And then secondly, we redeem our time by living purposeful. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 26, he says, I don't live aimlessly. In other words, I'm not just wandering around through life aimlessly. Anybody like the wanderer in your family, you get easily distracted by everything. Okay, that was me. I'm the youngest in my family. My older brother, John, then older sister, Ruthie, and then older sister, Sarah. We would be walking uh, with our family on family vacations or if we went to go eat somewhere. And it was like the ducklings just following mom and dad. But I was the one duckling that would just kind of walk over here. And I was looking at all the lights, and I was kind of distracted. And my sister Sarah was up in front of all of us, and she'd be looking back at me going, Paul, walk with purpose. Walk with purpose. I'd be like, Sarah, I'm enjoying the scenery, okay? I'm enjoying the scenery. And Sarah would be like, we've got to walk with purpose. And I think about how Paul was a purposeful person. If you're going to redeem the time, you have to be an on-purpose person. You can't just be wandering around aimlessly, easily distracted, easily wasting your time on things that really aren't eternally significant. To put it more practically, not spending hours and hours binging on Facebook and just catching up on the latest gossip and looking at everybody's stories. It's okay to spend a few few minutes there, but if you're spending hours every day, it's just not purposeful. It's not purposeful. I'm not trying to shoot you with machine gun bullets of the gospel this morning, but you've got to get purposeful with your life. We have to live on purpose. Paul said, I don't, I don't walk through life vaguely. I don't just, you know, I, I used to have a motto, plan to be surprised. That was my life motto. That's how I lived my life, just plan to be surprised. And it was kind of true, except for I was wasting time. And when I stepped in to be pastor, I couldn't just live in that motto anymore. I had to start making plans. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 says, Daniel distinguished himself among all the other people because he had an excellent spirit inside of him. In other words, Daniel, he was a purposeful guy, an excellent spirit. He was organized with his life. The average person in America wastes 80 hours a year looking for things that they've misplaced or lost, like keys... kids, (laughs) whatever it is you misplace. 80 hours a year are wasted by looking for things. Why? Because we're not organized. And you may be someone who has a hard time organizing your life. Maybe you kind of like it chaotic and that's, that's your personality. But I encourage you, don't waste so much time living unorganized. Choose, you know what, God, help me to be organized. Help me to get, if, if Daniel was a regular human, regular guy, and he had an excellent spirit, Lord, help me to have an excellent spirit so I can redeem my time. Time is running out, church. Time is running out. And we can't just waste it always just living by whatever comes our way, if it comes my way. And so purposeful people, they set goals for their life. Purposeful people, they set short-term goals and long-term goals. Give God some goals that he can either rearrange, change, or help fulfill. Write some goals down. I write goals down each week. People I need to call, emails I need to send, people I need to meet with, sermon prep time, making sure that I'm reading my Bible, making sure I'm reading books on leadership. I have goals. It helps me to stay focused. Goals help keep you focused to redeem your time. And I think about, too, how we have to set not just those short-term goals, but long-term goals. God, five years from now, here's what I'd like to see happen. Lord, 10 years from now, and it may not be that that thing happens, but at least you have some direction for your life, listening to God. God, help me to get some direction for where you want me to go, that I'm not just wandering aimlessly. You know, purposeful people, they decide not to just get into any and every little battle. 
purposeful people, they don't get distracted by things like offense. And let me tell you, offenses will come. The Bible says that as the days grow darker, more and more offenses will come in the body of Christ. That offense will become rampant. That people will get so easily distracted and pulled into battles that are unnecessary. Trying to uh, uh, always argue with people around you. Prove your point. And I want to encourage you, stop wasting your time in arguments and strife and offense. (laughs) One way we can redeem the time is choosing to forgive. Choosing to forgive. Redeem your time by being a forgiver. You might say, Paul, how, how soon do I have to forgive? The sooner the better because you're wasting time as you're sitting there trying to figure out if you're going to forgive that person. Choose to be a quick forgiver in your marriage. Choose to forgive your spouse. Maybe you came in here today arguing, fighting, mad at each other. Choose to let it go. Before you leave this room, just say, God, help me to let go of that offense. Help me to let go of what they said to me, what they did to me. Why? Because we waste our time when we sit in resentment. I remember working with this guy about 10 years ago, and, and, and when I was talking with him, he began to tell me about this person who really offended him. And he said, this, you know, this person really offended me in 1981. That was like over 20 years ago. And he said, I just can't let it go. I'm just, I can't let it go. And once they come and apologize to me, then I'll forgive them. I said, What if they never come? They haven't come for 20 plus years. What if they don't even know that they need to apologize to you? We're wasting our time waiting for people to come and apologize to us. Larry Stockstill said it like this, go down to Lowe's, buy a ladder, and get over it, all right? Don't waste time sitting at an offense, stuck at what somebody's done to you. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And and Christianity is bigger than that. Jesus is bigger than offense bigger than unforgiveness. So we've got to redeem the time by choosing to forgive. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26, New Living Translation says this, don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. So many people wake up still frustrated, still upset, still resentful, still bitter. Why? Because they went to sleep. Angry, bitter, unforgiving, upset. And every time you go to sleep angry and bitter, you're going to wake up with that same anger and bitterness. You're blocking the sunshine in your life. You're blocking what God's trying to do in your life. And I want to encourage you, stop going to bed as a victim. Start going to bed as a victor. Start going to bed victoriously. When you get ready to go to sleep and you say your nighttime prayers, me and Ashley, we now do the nighttime prayers with our sons, with Liam and Benaiah. We'll pray with them and teaching Liam to pray. But I realize this, I have to pray off any negative thing that happened that day. I have to say, Lord, I choose to release any negative thing that was spoken to me. Lord, any negative thought that tried to come up in my mind. Lord, I release anyone who offended me. I I release it. I don't want to go to bed angry at my wife. I don't want to go to bed angry at my son. I don't want to go to bed angry at someone else. You have to choose to let it go. And here's what happens. When you go to bed victoriously, you wake up victoriously. You get better sleep. You got a pep in your step. You feel better. Why? Because you released the negative junk. Go to bed victoriously. Redeem the time with forgiveness. You know, so many times in the Bible, people got distracted by something that was trying to pull their time. David, in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, he was supposed to be going to war. He was supposed to be with his army. 
But instead it says he stayed back. And when he stayed back, he was on top of his palace. And he looked out to the left and he saw a woman bathing. And this woman was a married woman. And it says that he decided to sleep with this married woman. He committed adultery. Then he had her husband killed. All of this stuff, the murder, the adultery, it all started by not living purposeful. He was distracted because he wasn't being purposeful. When we have too much time on our hands and we're not being purposeful, we're not choosing to flush negative thoughts, flush things that aren't of God, choosing to set God-glorifying goals, repenting of things that we need to repent of. When we're choosing to have an excellent spirit, we're, we're allowing ourselves to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. But when we get out of that, we're opening ourselves up for distractions that are time wasters, that are joy stealers, that, that waste years of our life. And here's the good news today. You can't change your past, but God forgives you of your past. His mercies are new every morning. You don't have to live another day with shame, guilt, condemnation. From this day forward, you can say, okay, I'm going to redeem my time. I'm going to stop rehearsing my sins, my failures, my mistakes, the years that I wasted. And from this day forward, I'm redeeming my time, living on purpose, seeking God's face, choosing to forgive. And then we redeem our time by choosing to have joy. Redeem your time by being joyful. I remember a couple who came to our church right after Hurricane Katrina. They had lost their house, lost their clothes, lost a lot of valuable treasures, pictures that they very, very much valued, an older couple. But you know, there wasn't a sad bone in their body. They were so joyful, so thankful to be alive. They said, you know, the storm was bad, but we're not stuck in the storm. We're moving on. God's got us here in Tulsa, Oklahoma for such a time as this. They weren't mad. They weren't throwing a pity party. They weren't living in depression. And here's what I realized. Storms are inevitable, but misery is optional. Storms are going to happen on the just and the unjust. Just because you're a good Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from storms. In fact, the devil hits good Christians maybe a little bit harder than other people. But when you walk through a storm, don't get stuck in a storm. So many people are wasting time because they've gotten stuck in something bad that happened to them. Went through a divorce. Watched their parents go through a divorce. Lost their house. Lost their job. Got, got demoted. Things didn't turn out. Counting on a promotion. It didn't happen. It went to their best friend. Something bad happens. A storm comes on. You get into a legal battle and just waiting for it to turn around. And what happens is we get stuck in that storm and we lose hope. We lose our joy. We lose our laughter. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you want to redeem your time, you've got to choose to rejoice. Joy is a choice. It is not a feeling. Joy is not a reaction. Joy is a response that no matter what comes my way, I choose to rejoice. Satan, you can't steal my joy. No matter what comes my way, I'm not going to drag through life depressed, angry, bitter as a victim. No, I'm rising up. I'm going to be a victorious person. I'm an overcomer. I got God's DNA inside me. I'm too blessed to be stressed. I choose to worship instead of worry. I'm letting grace set my pace, not guilt, not condemnation. In Jesus' name, this is for someone right now. You are walking through a storm. How do you get out of a storm? When you're walking through a valley, in order to get out of that valley, sometimes you got you to gotta praise your way out of the valley. You got to thank Jesus in the valley. You got to say, God, I know you're with me, you're for me, you're in me, you're helping me. And then choose to serve in the valley. Be an usher in the valley. Be a greeter in the valley. 
God's going to help you as you begin to help other people and serve other people, which is the last point of redeeming the time. Redeem the time with compassion. Redeem the time with compassion. Many of us are wasting time because we're living selfish. We're living so busy and focused on our needs that we're missing the people around us that God wants us to impact, that God wants us to serve. When I was at ORU, I remember I was praying for a promotion. I was praying to be the RA of my floor, which was basically the top dog, the leader of the floor that I lived on. Well, I didn't get that. I, 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 I interviewed for it, and they didn't give me the, the opportunity, the position. And I was frustrated. But you know what God said? Paul, you don't need permission to serve anybody. You, don't need per- you can go and serve people all around you. And so God said, I want you to be a door holder in the chapel. When people walk through, you just stand at that door. Well, that's what I did. And you know what? I, I loved serving at that door. I would hold the door open and shake people's hands. I was going through a valley. I was feeling disappointed, discouraged. I missed the thing that I was hoping I would get. I was wanting to lead worship on stage. Some of y'all heard my story about wanting to preach at ORU. None of those things were happening. But you know what God said? Paul, serve. Just serve. Just be a servant leader. Show people compassion. Me and Ashley, our first date was going downtown and serving at the homeless shelter, giving soup to people who needed soup, sitting beside people who just needed an ear to listen to them. They would tell us their stories, and Ashley and I got to pray for those people. You never waste your time helping other people win. You never waste your time showing compassion on other people. And oftentimes, we think compassion starts with someone who's extremely needy. Maybe we think, well, it's only compassion if I'm helping someone who's homeless. But see, compassion is way beyond that. Compassion, the definition of compassion is action, not just sympathy, but moving beyond sympathy into action. Seeing a need and meeting it. Seeing a hurt and healing it. Sympathy is, I feel sorry for you. I remember I was up in my dad's office while he was still alive and we were upstairs on the third floor of the school building. He has a window that looks over the parking lot. We were looking down at the parking lot, and this girl was walking outside with her homework, and all of a sudden, the wind came and blow, blew, and her homework went flying all over the parking lot. And I was standing up there, and I go, man, that's so sad. And my dad looks at me, and he goes, are you serious? Go and help that girl. And I was like, okay, I will. So I ran down there, and I went out to the parking lot, and the girl was crying. Because no one else was out there helping her. She was all by herself. She was so thankful that I stopped and moved beyond sympathy and lived with compassion. Compassion starts with seeing people's needs in front of all of us and helping them, ministering to them. You know, I wouldn't be on this stage if it wasn't for people who showed compassion to me. When I was in fifth grade, I was trying to raise money to go on mission trips. And I was a fifth grade little preacher's kid, punk, and I was trying to figure out how to, you know, go on a mission trip. And my fifth grade teacher, Miss Christy Ramirez, she believed in me and my brother, my, my friend AJ, and she said, you can come mow my lawn. We did a terrible job mowing her lawn. I'm pretty sure we messed her lawn up after mowing it. But she gave us some money. She believed in us. She said, you guys got a destiny on your life. You got a calling on your life. You're going you're gonna to do great things, Paul. Back then, I was a punk. I didn't know I had a destiny on my life. But what was she doing? She was speaking into my life. She was showing compassion. A legacy is not what you leave for someone. It's what you leave in someone. See, you can stack up all the riches in the world and leave it behind for your kids. But a real legacy is depositing encouragement, depositing love, depositing words of life, of affirmation, of saying, I believe in you. you got a calling on your life. What are you depositing in the people around you? 
Today is not a day to feel condemned for what you haven't done. Today is a day to be inspired to say from this day on, I'm going to deposit things into people around me. I'm going to deposit hope and love. My friend AJ had an awesome story happen to him this last week. And he was busy. And oftentimes when we're busy and we're focused on a mission, we can miss that moment of redeeming the time with compassion. Tell him what happened, AJ. Hello? There you go. Flying back from Dallas this past Wednesday and had been in meetings all that morning and just talking. I wanted to take a brain break, so I said, from Dallas to Tulsa, this 45-minute flight, I'm going to finish my book. I was in a great chapter of the book, and I was excited, and I tend to get on the plane last just so that way I don't, it's bad, that way I don't have to talk to people. And so, uh, getting ready to take off, so I, I got on the plane, put my bag down, I was reaching for my headphones, going to put them in my ear. I was in the, the aisle seat, and this lady, um, right before I sat down, she was like, well, hi. And I was like, man, she's a talker, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and so, so I'm slowly sitting down, and, and she, says, um, she says, hey, don't worry. The lady next to me is not contagious. And I, my ears kind of perked up. I've got a four-month-year-old year old daughter, so I was kind of like, well, what's going on here? Yeah. So... She says, because the lady had a mask on, and the lady was her daughter, and she was 30 years old, and, and I said, well, what's going on? Tell me your story. Well, since 2008, she had been flying. She's from Meridian, Mississippi. She flies back to Tulsa every three weeks to Cancer Center Treatments of America just to get treatment. And, and all of a sudden, my heart just drops down in my stomach, and I say, excuse me. And I just, right there on the plane, just repent in my heart. Because here I was, wanted to be self-centered, self-focused on, on, on what I need to do. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to focus on me. Well, we got to talking throughout the flight, and she shared her story, and, and she said it ultimately ended up being a blessing because she was a selfish 24-year-old girl, but now she sees life. It's really about living for others. So there throughout the whole flight, I was thinking, God, what can I do? Of course, Jesus is always the first solution should be. So we prayed with her. I had an opportunity to play with her on the flight. And then when we got off the flight, Pastor Sharon and Pastor Paul, John, and Pastor Ashley, we were able to pray with her. And then I was thinking, okay, who do I know? Who can we send to reach out to this young lady? So I saw Pastor Wendell that evening and his wife, Miss Gloria Hope, and also Susan Brown, who are members here at this church. They were able to go minister and pray with the lady. My wife and I visited her Friday night. And for the first time in seven years, they got a positive praise report about her cancer. So praise God. So the, the moral of the story there is, again, like Pastor Paul is sharing, have compassion. Don't be so focused on what you can do for yourself. But take time, just like Jesus, out of your day, out of your busy schedule, to reach out and love on someone else because it can change their lives and yours as well. Praise God. Praise God. Matthew 14, verse 14 says, Jesus was moved with compassion. That when he saw hurting people, he was moved with compassion. And I think about those words, it's a tempo, it's a pace. Jesus had time in his life to live with compassion. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, and a guy had transferred to our school just a few years earlier. His name was Wu Wan. He came from South Korea. And we were in a, a service. We were ministering to people, and God spoke to me. I saw Wu Wan out of the corner of my eye, and God said, I want you to go hug Wu Wan. I said, God, we're in high school. Nobody hugs each other, especially guys aren't hugging each other in high school. And 
God said, Paul, I want you to go give Wu Wan a hug. I just felt it in my heart. It's not like an audible voice. I just felt that tug in my heart. Go give Wu Wan a hug. And I went over and I hugged Wu Wan. And when I did, he just began to weep put his head on my chest, and he just cried, and I didn't know what was happening. For 20 minutes, he didn't say a word, just would not let go, squeezed me. And finally, he let go after about 20 minutes, and he said, you're the first American to hug me. He said, I've been here for two years. And sometimes we're so busy, and we're so self-ambitious to accomplish our goals that we're missing the people along the way See, one day, all of us will stand before God, and God will say, what did you do with the time that I gave you? What did you do with the gift of time? The most valuable gift in the world, more valuable than gold, fame, Instagram followers, land, whatever it is you think is so important in your life every day. God says, what did you do with the time that I gave you? Did you squander it on yourself, or did you invest it? into someone's destiny. See, we show compassion by reaching out and helping people. Everybody needs compassion. The businessman in the room, the wealthy person in the room, wondering if anyone might love me beyond my money, the young couple in the room, trying to figure out how to get along and not kill each other, and, and, the, and the people in the room, all of us, we need compassion. Even your pastor needs compassion. And I remember three years ago, three and a half years ago, I had just started preaching on our Saturday night service, and it was bad. If y'all think right now is bad, it was really bad. <laughs> I think I got a little bit better, but it was rough. I couldn't connect the dots. I was saying, um, like every 30 seconds. I was super insecure, trying to wear my dad's shoes. He had just passed away a few years before that, and my mom had asked me to start preaching. I was excited to preach, but then I was nervous and dealing with all of these questions and feelings of insecurity. And I started getting these random text messages. And they would say things like, Paul, you're a champion. Paul, I believe in you. You've got what it takes. You are a man of God. You're the right man for the hour. And I was like, who is this? And I asked the person on the text, who are you? How did you get my number? And it was some random number. And he said, just call me encourager. Just call me encourager. So I was like, okay. And so I was trying to figure it out because I was like, I wonder if my mom bought a secondary phone because she feels so bad for me that she's encouraging me. And I would ask my mom, mom, do you have like another phone that you're texting me from? And she'd be like, no. And I was like, well, somebody, somebody is speaking exactly what I need to hear because I'm going home oftentimes feeling that discouragement. And so that I would get those text messages a few times a week. Then I thought maybe it was my wife. So I asked my wife, babe, did you buy another phone that you could text me some encouraging words from? She was like, no, it better not be some girl, though. <laughs> better not be some other girl. Who's texting you, Paul? Let me see those text messages. They were good text messages, all encouraging. But years went by. I couldn't figure out who my secret text messaging encourager was. I was trying to figure out who it was, and then I thought, well, maybe it's an older person in the church because I'm so thankful we've got some really awesome, encouraging uh, senior adults in this church. And so I thought, well, maybe it's one of the senior adults. And, and about six months ago, after I had already stepped in as pastor, one night I, I got a text, and it was a really encouraging text. And I said, who, who is this? You, you have encouraged me so much, and I just I want to say thank you and just want to let you know it means a lot to me. Who is this? 
And he said, this is Tate Gomez, the son of John and Irene Gomez, a 16-year-old guy who had got inspired in his heart to be a person of compassion. I don't know if Tate's in here. Tate, would you stand up? Give this guy a big hand. Tate Gomez. Tate, you didn't, his parents didn't even know he was doing this. He was doing this on his own accord. Somehow, I don't even know how you got my number, but I thank God that you did encouraging me. And oftentimes when I would read those text messages, I would cry because I was like, God, I thought it was an angel. I thought it was God sending me text messages. <laughs> you might be somebody's secret angel to send an encouraging word who needs it right now. Someone in your life needs compassion, needs to hear a word of love, encouragement. And I think about how, what an incredible way to redeem the time of your life by helping other people. True success is not just getting to the mountain all by yourself. It's turning around and helping someone else come up with you. There's a true story about a mountain climber who was climbing this in, intense mountain. He was six hours away from the top. His team had been trudging through the snow for over a day, climbing this mountain. And as they were getting closer to the top, he looked to the left and he saw a guy curled up on the side of the mountain. And, and the person's body was lifeless. And so he left his team to go check on this person. And his team shouted at him, if you help him, you won't make it to the top. And he said, you guys go on ahead. And he went over by this guy who was curled up and he saw he was dying of frostbite. He was freezing to death. He was numb. His whole body was unconscious. And so he began to massage his arms, his shoulders, back to life. The man kind of woke up from the numbness. His face was blue. He was frozen, frostbite on his fingers. And the, and, the, and the mountain climber helped him down the mountain. He decided not to go to the top. He helped him down the mountain. When they got to the tent where the doctors and nurses were, the doctor checked both of them. And the doctor said to the man who helped him, he said, sir, you didn't realize this but your body was going numb too. If you wouldn't have stopped, you would have died going up that mountain. But when you stopped to massage him back to life, your muscles started coming back to life. The numbness went away. You not only saved his life, you saved your life too. And I think about when we show compassion, we are saving people's lives and we're saving our soul too. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone who's hurting in front of you. The good Samaritan, it was about a Samaritan helping a Jew. A Levite and a priest walked by a Jew who was hurt, who was beat up, who had been robbed and left for dead. And neither of his fellow Jewish brothers helped him. It was the Samaritan, the one least likely to help this guy, who stopped. The good Samaritan lifted him up, put him on the donkey, carried him to an inn, paid for all of his bills, uh, put bandages on his wounds and said anything that this guy incurs put it on my tab I'll take care of it and guys this is the way to live your life a tempo to redeem your time being purpose driven a tempo of choosing to rejoice a tempo of choosing to seek God a tempo of choosing to forgive a tempo of walking in compassion